I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which deconstructs genre and narrative and finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. Lo and behold, you know, yes, you could actually physically feel the sound, and that was just a eureka moment. If you've ever been to a music festival, or any gig for that matter, where the music is ear-crunchingly loud, where you feel every beat of the bass thump through your chest, where the melody takes over every single one of your senses, You'll know that music isn't just sound, there's so much more to it. The way we respond to music is fascinating. It serves as the backdrop to the story of our lives, guiding us through some of our most important moments. It brings shared experiences, elicits nostalgia, and it can affect our emotions in so many different ways. For internationally renowned, deaf, multi-percussionist Dame Evelyn Glennie, music is an entire body experience. Though she might not hit a sound in the same way that we do, she can hear the rhythm, the beat, the emotion through other parts of her body. She gave a TED talk on the subject of how to truly listen, and she's our guest on the show today. Chapter 1 The Journey of Sound. In our recent conversation with country musician Liv Austin, we explored how songs are like short stories, how the lyrics transport you to another place with the power to place you in another person's shoes. But even without words, Music is still able to tell a powerful, rich story full of emotion. Music means so much to so many and can be experienced in more ways than you thought imaginable. If you've seen America's Got Talent, you might remember Mandy Harvey, who, like Dame Evelyn, is profoundly deaf. When she performs, she does it with her shoes off so she can feel the vibrations of the music delivered through her body via her feet. Well, it turns out that Dame Evelyn has worked with Mandy on a project called Deaf and Loud Experience with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. We were working with a a hearing-impaired American rapper, Sean Forbes, and that whole experience was about realising that the body is like a resonator. And we were basically asking musicians and audience to think about what listening is for them, but we were obviously using a lot of technology as well. So obviously screens for signers and screens for seeing close-ups of the musicians. Uh, All the music was signed as well. The songs were signed. The types of speakers used allowed um, sound to be felt literally throughout the whole body. And I think that's the thing. And it goes back to my very first percussion lesson, you know, when my when I was sort of struggling with the hearing aids, because the hearing aids will boost the sound, but it won't give you the clarity. Certainly not the hearing aids in, in back in those days, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And so the more I was getting into music, the more the sound level was just sort of, it was almost like a ball of, of wool that you kept kind of adding to and adding to, and it was just getting to this massive, massive sort of wave and, and, and block of sound that you couldn't then decipher what, what was what. And um, so it wasn't so much that you couldn't hear something, you couldn't hear the clarity of things. And um, and my teacher, uh, percussion teacher, he struck a drum and he just waited. He just, you know, struck it once and literally waited. And he said, gosh, you know, this drum really vibrates. Do you think that our body vibrates or do you think that it can perceive vibration? And so he struck it again and he asked me to put my hands on the wall of the, the music room And lo and behold, you know, yes, you could actually physically feel the sound. And that was just a eureka moment because it meant that 
not only were you paying attention to that beginning of the sound, the impact of the sound, but then the journey of the sound and then the experience of the sound. So what you would normally call silence, but you, you had time to digest what that actually felt like and what did it mean. So suddenly you were immersing yourself in this whole journey of the sound and not just reacting on the initial impact. And, um, you know, sometimes we can meet someone and we create an initial impact. We think, oh, well, he's got a funny crooked nose or, or oh, you know, he's got, she's got funny colored hair or what, you know, we, we can immediately build up these assumptions and that can lead to another assumption. And, but it takes a lot of time to get to know someone and that's really important. And it's the same with sound. So just because a, a trumpet may play a C in that particular environment or room or acoustic, and that same player on the same trumpet plays the same C at the same level in another room, you know, another environment, it will feel differently. And that's what paying attention is and what listening is. It's an experience that is happening right now. It's it's such a personal thing, isn't it? Being on the receiving end of a sound, it depends yeah. very much on our um, our physical capabilities, but also on our ability to perceive, sense. And if you think about the science of sound, sound is is almost the wrong word. It's it's almost it's a wave. It's something that moves through the air. And if you yeah. think about how sound changes underwater, for example, if you listen to whales. Um, communicate with each other to us it makes no sense whatsoever but to them you know there is a, a language and a method of communication what's interesting is as I hear my own voice through this headset I can actually feel it here because I'm sat so close to the microphone and I, I guess I shouldn't point um, on an audio recording but I'm pointing at the tips of my fingers I can feel yes. it in the tips of my fingers because the the sound is being resonated through my body so what you said about it being a chamber is that is that what I'm experiencing it's exactly right I mean if you put your hand on top of a you know, the, the, something like a xylophone or a marimba or vibraphone has resonators, um, pipes hanging down from the bars. And if you put your hand on top of the resonator and strike the bar, it no matter how hard you strike that bar, it's going to be choked. And it is choked. There's only so much it can resonate and give. As soon as you take your hand away from, from the resonator and strike the bar again, it just blooms like a flower. So it can go in all directions. And that's what we're really, you know, experiencing with sound when we open our bodies up. And I think the important thing really about all of this is not necessarily to be too analytical about it, because it is what it is. And sometimes we're in the mood to listen and sometimes we're not. You know, I find that to listen is actually a really tiring thing because it requires focus and concentration. So you can't listen to something and do something else, you know. So if you want to engage in something, this is why a lot of the emotional experience I get as a musician is when I'm participating in it myself. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. It's simply that that's when you're allowing the body to participate in the sound, you know. So to be a passive listener is quite a different experience than being the participator. 
it is a it is a real skill um i think the ability to actually deeply listen and uh connect people i think take it for granted because it's just sound that's coming at them and they see it as a very passive thing um the best example i can give you of that it was earlier this year a play that i had written and directed had its premiere uh in london and one night there were only two people in it it was a very short piece and one night it went wrong uh, badly wrong um, they missed a big section of the play. And I'm sat in the audience powerless. There's nothing I can do. The audience doesn't know, but might suspect. And one of the things we'd said to each other as a company in preparation is, you must listen for each other. You must look out for each other. And it was fascinating that for the next three and a half minutes, I have never seen two people listen to each other more intently in my entire life. And it was an entire body experience. It was eyes, it was ears, it was looking for gestures. There was You could almost feel the support between the two of them as they tried to find a way out of this problem. And speaking to them both later, they were absolutely shattered. Just yes. that three and a half minutes of, of sheer listening effort had, had exhausted them. Absolutely. I can absolutely understand that. And I think possibly... Um, an analogy or equivalent might be if you're asking an orchestra to improvise um, or asking an orchestra to play without a conductor um, because they have to know all of the parts and you cannot believe how much other senses open up, you know, because it's not one directional where you look at the conductor, you know that he or she is going to be standing on that podium or whatever right in front of the orchestra and so you're in your comfort zone. This now, there's no visual aid like that. So all of the visual aids are the 80 or 100 odd musicians. They're all the conductors now. And you have to know what the violins are doing or the violas or the trumpets or the timpani or whatever. And it becomes a completely different scenario. And it becomes a different listening experience for the audience as well. You know, it's, it's as though that safety net has been taken away. Chapter two, natural born percussionists. What this conversation clearly defines is the difference between the passive experience of hearing and the exhausting process of truly listening. Listening is an essential art and we're not always great at doing it. Very often we don't listen to each other, we just exist. We even end up having conversations that we don't remember. For this reason, sound, not just words, should be carefully considered in your writing. The 2017 movie Baby Driver plays on this brilliantly. The protagonist uses music to drown out not only his tinnitus, but the chaos of the world around him. But switching off from the rest of the world also leaves his moral compass compromised. And when it comes to songs, you may think you're not a musical person. But if you reimagine the sounds you hear as you go about your everyday activities, you'll soon realise that a collection of sounds is a symphony that influences our every action. We're all musicians. You know, I think everything we do is a form of listening. I mean, as soon as we get up in the morning, you know, we get up and we decide and talk to ourselves, chat to ourselves and think, OK, you know, inwardly, I mean, and, and think, well, shall I shower first or shall I have my breakfast or shall I have a bath or a shower or, what? you, you know, you just you make these decisions, but you're, you're discussing that within yourself and that will then lead to an action. But all of that is listening. It really is. And and I think we are probably really good listeners more than we think we are, but we just don't actually notice, I suppose, um, what the situation is now. And I think during this whole lockdown experience, it's allowed us 
the time, the space to reconnect with ourselves. So, you know, this isn't a kind of Zen-like thing or anything like that. It's just simply an instinctive thing that we're able to do, um, but it's an engagement thing. We, we've got the opportunity to do it. We're, we have the capability to do it, but we need time. We need space. And it's funny, I find that, again, during this lockdown period, is that I'm listening to my instruments quite differently than when I was busy traveling here, there and everywhere and giving concerts here, there and, and whatever. You know, you're always doing things because of something. You had to aim, you had to, you know, practice because you had to play that piece at 7.30 on 23rd October or whatever. Whereas now I can practice things without any kind of reason for, for, for doing that. So there's no expectation. And it's really given me all sorts of, I suppose it's given me ways to reconnect with the instruments, to not just listen to them, but to think of different techniques of playing, to, to think that, my gosh, you know, it, it's as though you're meeting someone that you haven't met for several years. And suddenly there's all these conversations you need to catch up with. And, and I've given myself a little task of choosing an instrument and concentrating on that for one month. And I mean, an instrument that isn't where I'm, you know, it's not like a marimba or a snare drum or something where I have to play more or less every day, but um, something like an Irish boron, the spoons, the, the bones, a tambourine, a pandero, a, a whatever it is, things that I wouldn't normally play every day. And it's been absolutely fascinating and, and really interesting to see how your own imagination uh, plays a part in, in the discoveries that you make. But that has only happened because of time. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I wonder, you made a, a point about us being better listeners than we think. Um, there's a dichotomy between that and the fact that we fear silence. We, 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 we don't have a good relationship with silence. It either scares us or it makes us feel anxious and we then want to fill the silence but there is such a beautiful intimacy mm. in silence in that I, I always think the nature of, a, of, of the strength of a relationship is when two people can exist in silence and not feel the need to fill it does that make sense absolutely and I think that is part of success in a way is is the the embracement of silence and I mean I don't believe silence exists because as long as there's the presence of something there is no silence but it's the feeling that there's this space basically and it's this resonance of just letting things be and again I think that's what the lockdown has given an awful lot of people is just simply I suppose knowing the difference between silence and peacefulness you know so you can be by a waterfall and you, you just think oh you know, it's so peaceful here, but actually the amount of decibels that a waterfall would create would be enormous. But it's it's this whole engagement with the, the scene that makes it then so peaceful. And I think it's the same with silence in inverted commas. Is it's this feeling of being comfortable with that space. And silence for me is space, basically. Just letting things, I suppose letting yourself open up and look out and look up and look across and and you know we are busy looking down and and you know just fiddling around with stuff and and we're kind of needing to to really look up and around and and it's amazing then what that does mentally to yourself it's almost as though 
it's the difference between focusing on a particular note and linking that to another note to then just stepping back and then seeing that whole piece piece of music become a, a sound story really and and that's what lockdown I think has has allowed us to do is that we're paying attention to wildlife and all of that sort of thing and it's telling a story to us you know and we're letting it tell it, it tell its story we're giving it that space yeah it's fascinating I um, I'm fortunate enough to have a small garden and my wife and I have been doing our own version of spring watch um, watching the birds try and nest I can differentiate the sound of a blackbird to a magpie and I can also you know just sort of understanding that the, the birds make different types of sounds depending on what it is they are trying to do either talk to each other or give a warning or you know whatever it might be it's another form of language I guess um I've, I've seen you play um I've seen videos of you play and I I always think there's a huge leap between what you do if I think of something like flight of the bumblebee on the marimba or something like that right but as 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 young human beings we're predisposed to pick things up and bang them aren't we because there's a a, a, there's a childlike joy in striking something that makes a noise. I don't know whether it's because you know the adults will get annoyed, but there's <laughs> something about the ability to make a sound that delights us, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think, you know, whilst we're in our mother's womb, we're, we're kicking about and moving around that we're natural percussionists anyway. And there's such incredible flexibility, physical flexibility with, with infants and babies. You know, they just use their limbs in such natural ways. And when you watch a youngster, a, a really, you know, young, young person pick up uh, an object, you know, a stick or a, or a utensil, a kitchen utensil, and just watch how they hold that stick. It is, if you want a lesson on how to hold a mallet, you know, I'm telling you, just, just watch a two-year-old. And and truly, truly, and I, I just, I'm always amazed at this sort of incredible effortless naturalness where the whole body is involved in creating that sound. And it is actually quite important because ultimately, that's what we want to hold on to, you know, as we refine our skills, we want to almost go back to how we were when we were youngsters, really connecting all of our limbs together. And, and you know, it, it is quite remarkable. So, and when you watch them, they, they manipulate their hands in ways that so often we're told later on, oh no, you're not allowed to hold a stick like that, or no, it's not a good idea being seen lifting the stick up, you know, on a pointy end or whatever. Well, why not, you know, because you're going to get some really interesting sounds. And so I find that really, really interesting. And I think, yes, it is very natural for us all just to want to come down on a surface, you know, and create a sound. And one of the things when we dealt with the uh, opening ceremony of London 2012 was thinking what sort of drums could be used for a thousand drummers. And we talked about snare drums. We knew that um, any ethnic sounding drum was not going to be right and so on until we suddenly agreed that, well, buckets, you know, that's kind of industrial sound. We want to smell it and feel it and taste it. And it's funny when you give someone uh, a drum because they often say, oh, what do I do? How do I play it? I, I've got no rhythm or whatever. Suddenly, you know, there's all the negatives. As soon as you give them a bucket, bang, 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 you know, they just psychologically want to, to, to hit that bucket. And uh, and so it was a really important point, not just sound wise and feeling wise, but psychologically for people to to have access, you know, and know that, no, I can I can strike a bucket, you know, 
I'm so glad you brought that up because a friend of mine was a drummer at the opening ceremony and she talks with great fondness about the simplicity of play the drum so your mum can see you on TV. You know, that ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum, ba That was a, it was such a performance. All of those people who were not necessarily trained drummers beating in unison on buckets in front of the world, you know? Absolutely. And it's it's bringing, I mean, someone like Paul Clavis, who was such an instigator of the drumming, you know, was was just brilliant at at thinking of that line. You know that it became a line that people remembered, and and people could just you know relate to that rhythmically on on the drum. And this wasn't a case of looking at any ways of how you're holding the sticks or where on that bucket you're striking the 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 the, the bucket itself or or whatever you know the height of the sticks or whatever. It's just what is that energy that we need for this part of the ceremony and. And it was that energy that we all fed off each other. Um, and that was definitely a form of listening. Chapter three, experiencing the music. In 2001, Dame Evelyn played the marimba and various percussion instruments with Oscar and the other animals of Sesame Street. The character of Oscar embodies the pure joy a person can get from simply banging a drum of being in the moment. And this also highlights the magic in actually watching the intensity and raw emotion of a performance rather than just hearing it. This crosses over to something we're seeing in lockdown, video call fatigue. Whether you've got your camera on or not, I'm sure you've felt how tiring it is to join conference call after conference call and how you're left feeling empty when you're not able to meet a person face to face. We don't just survive on words. We survive on experiences, on interactions and passion. And they should underpin any story arc you create, every single character and every plot point. And I mean, I think that with live performances, this is something that obviously you, you can experience and why live performances will not disappear. Um, and I think we found that during this lockdown period is, is that obviously a lot of music is coming through the Internet and so on and all the social media platforms. But it's not the same. You know, it, you don't get the vibration of that performance. You don't see the sweat or the, you know, the, the rosin off the bow or whatever it might be. You don't feel the reaction of the other people um, as part of the audience and so on. There are so many ingredients which are missing and uh, and it, it just gives a very different listening experience. So, and I think the energy that players give um, or try to give over the internet is not the same as when there's a live perform a live audience there. So yes, it'll be interesting to see how we move forward from all of this because it will, I think, affect our listening. And talking of hopefully one day moving forward, what were you scheduled to have done um, over the last few months that's unfortunately have, have to stop? And, and, and will you be able to pick that up um, hopefully sooner rather than later? Yeah, it's been really fascinating because basically since March, um, all of the, the dates for this year, I think we're just waiting to hear from two more. We had three postponed on us yesterday, in fact, um, for October and November. And so I think there's only two or possibly three more left in the diary at the end of the year. Everything else has evaporated. And those were performances quite literally all over the world from Taiwan, Canada, America, uh, mainland Europe, China, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, all sorts of places. And and so, yes, at the moment, next year, the diary is like a moving target because, you know, promoters just don't know what their funding is going to be like. They just don't know what the situation is going to be, but they want to reschedule. 
So it's a real challenge on a daily basis to try and work out where things can be fitted um, when, in fact, the promoters don't quite know themselves. So really interesting times. And when you think about the venues that you would normally perform in all over the world, can you tell the difference in the sound for you personally from one venue to another? I mean, we talk about acoustics a lot as if we as if we have a tacit understanding of what that means and I'm not sure we always do again because it's a personal thing but do you think oh I'm I'm going to be in this this concert venue or this um you know this venue over here it's going to sound different I will need to bear that in mind or or is it fairly you know consistent all the way through no it's always different and when I travel I always bring a, a range of sticks and mallets because I don't necessarily know what the acoustic is going to be um, so I try to bring tools that will, you know, be adaptable. Um, so if it's really reverberant, if it's really dry, you know that if you're going to go into a church or a cathedral, it's going to be more wet. But what does that mean? So what's the size of that church? You know, what's the layout of the church and so on? What repertoire are you playing? That will have a huge impact as regards to how you how you interpret that piece, depending on the, the acoustic. Um, or if you're recording a piece of music, that, that has another kind of scenario to it where you're thinking much more of tone rather than live performance impact. You know, it's a whole different experience. Um, so, yes, you, you can never be complacent. And then, of course, we rehearse so often in an empty hall or an empty theatre. And then in the evening, you know, people come in and it's a, a changed landscape again. So you can't control everything. You rarely have a perfect, perfect scenario. In my case, as a percussion player, you know, something like, let's say, a marimba might sound really beautiful in a, a church or a cathedral. But then as soon as you have a set of drums or timpani, it's a complete and utter mess. So, you know, you have to think about those sort of things as well, certainly in, in, with the family of instruments I play. Fascinating. Yes, what you say about the addition of other human beings into a space does have an impact, particularly in theatre. Um, we talked mm. about the play earlier, you know, even though there were only two people in it, we always describe the audience as the third member of the cast because you do feed off the energy that they create in oh. the room. And it must be exactly the same for you. And if that's it. And as I was saying earlier, with the lockdown, you know, we haven't really had those audiences. So even if you know that, you know, 2,000 people or a million people have looked at your material, that actually doesn't mean you know it doesn't change how you're feeling as as the performer so yes it it's a, we definitely the audience are massive participators in a live performance well i hope it isn't too long before you get to perform live again dame evelyn lenny thank you so much it's been fascinating thank you very much for having me a massive thank you then to dame evelyn lenny for joining me on the podcast and to recap what have we learned Imagine listening to your favourite song performed by the original artist in the flesh, and now picture that song being played near perfectly by someone else. Which experience would you prefer? In writing, consider how context and expectations can govern the emotional responses of your characters. Play with the concept that certain actions can be both right and wrong, depending on who's carrying them out and what their motives are. With music and sound, you have to pay attention. You must learn to immerse yourself in the whole journey of the sound, rather than simply reacting to the initial impact. Equally, creating layers in your stories is critical. Explore the growth and evolution of your characters. Immerse yourself in their world. In live music, 
The audience is as much a part of the performance as the artist. And the same can be said of a reader. Try to make them connect so deeply with the plot that they feel like one of the characters. And as Sam Loveridge said last week, that's exactly what happens in gaming. Take time to reconnect with yourself. Avoid feeling as though you always have to have a reason for your actions, whether it's a publishing deadline or an external voice putting pressure on you. Remember to take time out, to write just for the pure joy of it. Write as if no one's reading. And finally, don't fear silence. In the words of Ronan Keating, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And that being said, I probably wouldn't leave too many blank pages if I were you. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine. New episodes are released weekly. Please like us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Coming up next week, we'll be in conversation with Richard Bradley, Editor-in-Chief of Worth magazine. What we're really looking for is a voice. And the voice needs to be informed, expert, authoritative, confident, knowing. We're writing for a sophisticated audience. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing.